Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, a show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, I have a short list here of some words in a particular category, and I wondered if you could guess what the category is. Okay. All right. Three terms. Brickfielder. Simum and snow eater. Let's see where your mind Brick goes. Brick fielder, simum, and snow eater. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good question. The middle one doesn't sound like English to me. Correct. Um, I don't know what it is. Snow eater. What's a snow eater? Mm-hmm. Uh, good. I don't know. Terms used by Canadians in uh, Inuit country. I don't know. That's not a bad guess. You, know, you always say that. I know. Even I when I'm completely wrong. <laughs> What is it? Okay, well, let me give you a hint. A snow eater is also a Chinook. Oh, types of salmon. Types of fish? Oh, well, it could be, but um, it's type types of winds. Types of winds, oh, exactly. That's right. Isn't like a boob. Cool? Yes, yes, exactly. Like Dorichos. That's right. And your ear was very good about simum, which comes from Arabic, which um, it has to do with a dry, hot, suffocating wind that goes across mm-hmm. uh, you know, the African and Asiatic deserts. That's cool. And so the first one. The first one is Brickfielder. That's a wind from the desert of southern Australia. And it has to do with the way the wind comes over sand hills, which are also referred to as Brickfield. Okay. And then the snow eater is? The snow eater is is like a Chinook wind, which uh, comes down in the Rocky Mountains. And it's called snow eater because it can happen after an intense cold spell and just raise the temperature really fast. Interesting. So the new front comes in and the wind is the symptom of that. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating how many different terms there are out there mm-hmm. for different types of winds because they do all different kinds of things and have all these different characteristics. I'm going to share some words for cold winds later on in the show. All right. Well, we're waiting for your calls. We talk about all aspects of language. 877-929-9673. Email us words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello, this is Jerry Yang, calling from Merced, California. Hey, Jerry. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. What's up? What I really want to know is who actually invented the word hot dog? Because I had a very bad uh, experience about 30 years ago because I didn't know much English. Anyway, to make the long story short, I was helping this gentleman uh, at our church stacking some chairs, and... It was. Uh, it took us like pretty much the whole morning, and I was about maybe 14 back then. And then just before we finished uh, stacking those chairs, he said, Jerry, when we're done here, would you like to go with me and go get a hot dog? And at the time, I took it, uh, I took it as a literal meaning, and I thought he was insulting me. <laughs> you know, being Asian and from Southeast Asia, Mm-hmm. I was saying to myself, well, man, I just helped this guy stacking all these chairs, and now he's insulting me if I would go and eat dog, you know. And so um, I was very puzzled. I was disappointed, but uh, I I just decided to go with him. And later, I, you know, we went to this hot dog stand and, you know, bought the hot dogs, and it was actually pretty good. Uh-huh. I went home that night and spoke to my cousin who came to America first, and I realized that the, you know, the frankfurter was not made from dog meat. So right. I was actually very embarrassed. So my question is, how in the world 
the word hot dog, you know, be you know became a word, an English word. How did hot dog come into the English language, dude? I have to say, you had me on tenterhooks. I me did too. not know how that story was going to turn out. <laughs> I'm so glad that it turned out nice, <laughs> and I'm so glad that it wasn't really an insult. Well, thank you. Um, so you guys have any answers? At I all? do. I have tons of answers. How long do you have? No, I'll give you the short version. And the short okay. version is that there used to be a kind of sausage known as the Frankfurter. It still is a Frankfurter. But when Frankfurters were new in the United States, people who made them were often accused of using animal meat that wasn't cow uh. or pig. And they did sometimes <laughs> actually use animals scavenged off the street, including dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. And so for oh, wow. years, this joke, you can find it in tons of newspapers and particularly in college newspapers for some reason. You'll find jokes and riddles and doggerel and insults and things talking about going to have a dog. And they meant a sausage that was made from dog meat. And they meant it as a joke, but the joke kind of stuck. So by the early 1880s, um, that particular kind of sausage started to be served hot and it became literally a hot dog. Even though by that time there were more regulations about meat and there were more regulations about what goes into our food and food prep and so forth and so forth, the name really literally stuck. And here we are in 20-whatever-teen using that word to refer to this mixed meat sausage. Wow. I, I, I just learned something new. And trust me, my, I have six kids. My kids love hot dogs. <laughs> They're not made out of dogs. <laughs> no. No. They're made no. out of whatever's okay. on the package. All right. Turkey, no, I, chicken, I feel pork, whatever. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but no, as early as the 1830s, you'll find jokes written. Here's, um, here's one. Um, the 1836 in a Massachusetts newspaper, a guy is arguing with a sausage vendor, and the guy says, I don't know nothing special about them sausages. They may be good sausages. I don't say they ain't good sausages. All I do I say is that wherever, somewhere, you see them kind of sausages, you don't see no dogs. That's 1836. So he's insinuating there are no dogs in the area because they're all in the sausages. So that so the reputation kind of stuck with this particular kind of meat for a really long time. Wow. Yeah, cr- crazy, right? Yeah. And as I recall, the Coney Island Chamber of Commerce tried to get people to stop using that term. <laughs> Called them Coney dogs. Yeah. And still in part or of the country not, that we do not have dogs. Co- I forget what they wanted co- to call Coney, them. Yeah. Conies or something yeah, like well, that. In some places the they dog. call them like, they call them Coney Islands or something okay. else. Yeah, okay. Okay. But... They they tried to make people yeah. change, but you can't do that. You can't put <laughs> no, language back into the bottle. No, that's like putting toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, exactly. So Jerry, what a great question. Well, thank you so much and Thank you for having me on the show. Jerry, you're a delight and so happy to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much. God bless. You too. Cheers. Bye, Jerry. Bye-bye. There's two things to add to this. One, because I want to head off the phone calls and emails about it. Tad Dorgan, the cartoonist, Mm -hmm. did not coin the word hot dog. The word was already in you. The phrase, the two-word phrase, was already Mm -hmm. in use decades, Mm -hmm. decades before he was even a cartoonist. Right. But he did draw a picture of a dog that looked like a Datsun. Yeah, but that was for a a bicycle race or something in 1906, long after it was already being used. He was just riding the wave that was already in motion long before he came along. The other thing is I want to share this tiny bit of doggerel from 1895. Are you saying doggerel on purpose? No. Oh, I am not, but you can take it that way. Um, From the Yale Record, which is a student newspaper at Yale University, and is, "'Tis dog's delight to bark and bite, thus does the adage run. But I delight to bite the dog when placed inside a bun." So 1895. Uh, <laughs> but again, people were talking about dog meat in the 1830s. Yep, yep. Um, nervous the t- laughter. Early 18- yep. Yeah, with nervous <laughs> laughter. But they were eating it anyway. Um, yeah. And then yeah. 1880s, we see the term kind of firmly established in I English. Know. We've come a long way. Now yeah, we have we sure tofu have. dogs. <laughs> Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, this is Michael Winters from... Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. How are y'all? Hi, Michael. Doing well. What's, What's up? This question came to mind, and I thought you two would be the perfect people to ask. When you have a married couple and they both have the title doctor, what's the correct way to introduce them to somebody? Is it doctor and doctor so-and-so or what? How does that work? What's are the they, correct way? 
Are they medical doctors? Not necessarily. Just if, you know, maybe one's a PhD doctor, one's a medical doctor, something like that. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, Have you had occasion to uh, run into this question in, in real life? Um, I haven't, but uh, I know a lot of friends that, that are doctors, and some are medical and some are PhD. Mm-hmm. And so I know if it's one's a doctor and one isn't, then it would be doctor and Mrs. or doctor and Mr. So-and-so. But I didn't know if there was a distinction between both doctors or and now that you say it if one's a uh more of an educational phd doctor mm-hmm. versus a medical if you know that they want to be called the doctor that changes things like i know a lot of people who have doctorates non-medical mm-hmm. doctorates who don't want to be called doctor and mm-hmm. if they're called doctor it's only in very formal academic settings yeah i was going to say my dad had a doc had a couple of doctorates in in theology and philosophy and my mom had a doctorate in education and so they refer to themselves as a paradox <laughs> <laughs> now you see where she gets it yeah. <laughs> oh that's funny yeah so i mean sometimes i mean if they were introducing themselves well they wouldn't really say that though i i can remember um, each of them talking on the phone to people, you know, introducing themselves. And it, and it was pretty rare that either of them would say this is Dr. Barnett calling. But let's imagine there's a new head of the university and a couple has been invited and they're mm-hmm. being introduced around. And let's say it's Dr. Juanita Smith and Dr. Juan Smith, mm-hmm. right? Um the normal way to introduce them is to literally use their names, their full names in that way with the title. I'd like to, you to meet Dr. Juanita Smith. You're kind of gesturing to her. And Dr. Juan Smith, and you're gesturing to him, right? And that, that covers everything. It covers the fact that you now know that they have the same last name. You've got their first names. You've got their, their title. It's, it's kind of good mm-hmm. and taken care of. What, but but it really depends on the context. It I does, mean, but most a, of the academics I know wouldn't even bother with that because they yeah, just assume that, that everybody in their position it, has a doctorate. Yeah, yeah. And, and occasionally I will get people call me Dr. Barrett. I'm not Dr. Barrett at all. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not Dr. Barnett. <laughs> no, I've had that happen at linguistic conferences. I'm like, no, don't settle me so, with that. <laughs> so if they're both medical doctors, though, you would just sort of say Dr. Jeanette Johnson and, and her husband, Dr. Frank Jones, or how, that would work. That'd be more appropriate. That's way right. To do that, yeah. You yeah, yeah. And you, and, and in doing that way, you give them their separate identities. My wife and I run into this because she kept her maiden name, as they say, and so anytime we are introduced, it's her full name and then my full name, because just. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Barrett just doesn't cover the bases, and Doctor and Doctor Smith doesn't cover the bases either. Mm. <laughs> okay, well that kind of answers my question, and. Um... I said, now that I know, I'll probably run into that situation. It just kind of seems how my life works. So, yeah, I appreciate your time. And uh, I listen to your show every week. Love it. Well, let us know if you run into that situation and how it turns out. Yeah, okay? yeah it's a big I, morass. I, Everyone left angry. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I sure will. I appreciate it very much. Okay, Thank you, Michael. Take care. All right, Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. keep sending us German jokes, and I like this one. It translates as, the pessimist says it can't get any worse. The optimist says, yes, it can. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. That's a really good one. I know. I know. 877-929-9673, or send your queries about language and email to words at waywardradio.org. This is a show about language examined through family history and culture. Stay with us. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now on the line is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hey, John. Hey, Martha. Hey, Grant. Hey, bud. What's up? I don't know if you guys know, I have a BFA in drama from NYU. What? Okay. Yes, that's that's nice. my, my degree. Really? So, yeah, so I know a little bit about Broadway. And okay. Acting, yeah, okay. Now, you got to be very careful when you work on Broadway. You know, you've seen those marquees with all the lights. You know, they're really up high. And if you put up the wrong letter, boom. You're doing a different show. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> For yep. instance, 
You change just one letter on a marquee, and the next thing you know, you're working on a show about a former lady sharpshooter who now works at McDonald's. That's right. It's Annie, Annie get, get your, your bun. Bun, yeah. <laughs> and now you have to work on that show. So let's let's mm. use this quiz as a, a little cautionary lesson. I'll describe a show, which is a famous musical with just the first letter of one word changed. You tell me the, the title of the letter. terrible new musical. Okay. 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 Ready? Let's hear All right, it. Here we go. A fancy professor makes a bet that he can change a lowly shampoo girl into the top stylist at a salon. My, My hair, hair lady. lady. <laughs> My hair lady. Yes, I would watch good. that one, by the way. <laughs> I would watch all of these. I'm better. Sure. In this DC Comics theatrical universe musical, Batman must solve perplexing conundrums as he spends a night chasing one of his most quizzical foes high above the streets of Gotham City. Well, quizzical, quizzical. so it's a Riddler or the Joker. Yeah, yeah. Um, Think of a, of a musical. Oh, a famous musical. Riddler on the Roof. That's the one. Riddler oh, on the Roof. Oh, 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 oh. Riddle me this, Batman. This musical is pretty much unchanged. It's about an up-and-coming actress gaining fame while her famous lover self-destructs, though not from alcohol. He's just really, really tired. A star kind of is bore. No. <laughs> No, he's really close, tired. Close. He's really tired, so it's he's faint. kind of a star is worn. Yes, a star is worn. A star is worn. He's just so tired. <laughs> Disney will probably pick up this anthropomorphic adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that features star-crossed birds that belong to rival flocks. Oh my goodness! So, West Side Story um, becomes. Mm. Rival birds. Um. Now, if I change nest, the last... Nest side story? <laughs> yes, nest side story. Now, if I change the last letter, it could be West Side Stork, but it's, it's not going to be that. I can tell you that like much. That. That's the like, sequel. Right, one stork against the three. <laughs> stork, West Side. This is the simple story of a dog who learns to play the piano, write some songs, and win a Grammy. In Austria. <laughs> the Hound of the Music. Hound of the Hound there of Music. The perhaps hound it's the sequel. Perhaps it's the sequel to Cats. I don't know. With the Hound of Music. Being an orphan on the streets is tough. In this musical, a chipper young waif gets a pointy piece of wood in his heel, and that's pretty much all there is. It's not Sliver Oliver. Twist. Sliver. Sliver is right. Sliver. Well, I'll, now see, Oliver Sliver. Twist was the book, or ah. Sliver oh, Twist yeah, Sliver. is the book. Sliver. But Sliver with an exclamation right. point. Like that it. is the musical. Yeah. Very well done. At various towns along the Mississippi River, the people are tired of gambling and fancy spectacles. They just want some good down-home cooking, and the titular paddle wheeler provides it. It's not showboat. I was going to say. Well, what, Hello it? Dolly. Isn't it well, show? No. Is it, it showboat? Is. Yeah. Can we change one letter? Uh-huh. Chowboat. Chowboat is right. Very good. Okay. I'll see you guys at the theater. Congratulations. <laughs> Thumbs that was up. Oh, John, that was great. Thanks, buddy. Really Thanks, appreciate John. it. Take care now. Take care. The show's about words and language, but a whole lot more culture, family, history. That all comes into it. If you've got a question related to anything having to do with any of that, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Or send us a message on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, welcome to Away With Words. Hi, uh, my name is Sarah, and I'm from Council Bluffs, Iowa. Hello, Sarah. Welcome hey, to the show. Sarah. What's up? Hi, thank you. Uh, my grandmother has a saying, I've heard this all of my life, um, and she said she got it from her grandmother. Um, this dates back quite a ways, uh, as her grandmother was uh, a young bride during the Civil War. Whenever her hairdo is messed up, either she needs a perm or it's been really windy, she would say that her hair looks like a hoorah's nest. And she can't tell me what that means. Um, she never thought to ask her grandmother before she passed away. And no one in our family has any idea what she's talking about. Looked like a hoorah's nest. Yes. And that doesn't sound very complimentary, right? Uh, no, it does not. <laughs> yeah. And so where were your relatives from? Um, during the Civil War, they lived here. Um, in the Council Bluffs, Iowa, and down to Manhattan, Kansas, and prior to the Civil War, uh, they resided from Pennsylvania. Uh, oh, okay. Legend goes they're Pennsylvania Dutch. 
Okay, very interesting. Yeah, we've seen variations of this, like Hura's Nest, H-U-R-R-A-H, Hura's Nest or Hura's Nest. And it's mainly sort of down the eastern seaboard, New Jersey, Maryland, uh, D.C., North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And we don't really know what a Hura is. I would guess it was be some <laughs> kind of bird, right? But, it, I mean, did you have an image of anything in your head when they said this? Pretty much pictured a, a bird's nest on top of her head. Sometimes yeah. when she was desperately needing a perm, her hair is pretty wiry. It kind of resembled a nest. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, it has a long tradition. I mean, it goes back a couple hundred years, yeah, right? Yeah, I found it as early as 1817. There you go. There you go. And uh, actually, well, Hen- okay. yeah, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow actually used it in his journals when he was talking about a queer-looking Dutchman with a head like a hoorah's nest. And he had it in quotes, so we we are guessing that it's earlier than, than his journals. Yeah, usually when people call wow. a word out with quotes, it means that mm-hmm. they're either, they're, they recognize it as an exceptional term. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll please my grandmother that she's been cloning Longfellow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he used it in 1829 in mm-hmm. his journals that were published by his brother after he died. Okay, well, that would be about the time uh, my great-great-grandmother would have been a, a young woman, so that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you can use it for things besides hair. I mean, you know, if you this have a teenager a with, yeah. Yeah, room yeah, with a room. <laughs> or even a situation can be a hoorah's Right, nest, yeah. right. Just a jumble of things. Yeah, but, but uh, okay. we just don't know who the hoorah was or is. No, mythological bird maybe, something yeah. out of... Because uh, a lot of the early uh, uses of this are seafarers, right? Yeah, and there's right. A, there's uh-huh. one particular definition given in some dictionaries which says something about um, a tangle of debris blocking a, a, a path or something like right, that. Right, or like ropes on, the, rope, on the deck, something on the like deck, that. Yeah. Who oh, okay. Nest? Yeah. Huh. Well, that's really interesting. Thank you. Our well, pleasure. Thanks glad for to calling, help. Sarah. Mm-hmm. Bye. Hoorah. Give us a call, <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Dylan. I'm calling from San Diego, California. Hey, Dylan. And um, I have a question um, that I've been asked a lot lately, um, and it's regarding to, um, I am transgender and gender nonconforming, and um, a lot of my friends who are having kids right now keep asking me what they should be referring to me as, because they want to either use the term like aunt or uncle, but they're looking for a gender-neutral term Mm -hmm. for aunt or uncle, and I was wondering if you have a response or something I can tell them. Oh, what a good question. Good question. Do you have a preference? I prefer something gender neutral because I am gender Mm nonconforming. I go by they, them, theirs pronouns, Uh and um, I don't really know what to tell them, which is is why I'm reaching out to you guys. I figure you might know. Yeah, there there have been a bunch of proposed terms. Um, None of them, unfortunately, have caught on, though. Um, just like the gender neutral mm-hmm. pronouns, there have been so many proposed, and I mean hundreds have been proposed over the centuries. And the one that the only set that really mm-hmm. has stuck is they, them, their, so forth, mm-hmm. is gender neutral. So a plural pronoun now used as a singular. The best one that I've seen is a in a journal article written by Neville Goodman, he's British fellow, British Journal of General Practice, and he proposes piblings. Because you take the P from parent and the ibling from some other proposed familial relationship terms that have been kind of getting some popularity, which is the term for nieces and nephews. I don't know if you ever heard nibblings or nefflings or nieflings. Yeah. And so, okay. he, so he's proposing so pibling is kind of. P as in P as in um, pocket or oh, Paul. Paul or Polly. Okay. Yeah. So pibbling, so that but really cute. it is, yeah. <laughs> but but then would a kid say my pibbling Dylan? Um, is... Maybe that was my that was my next proposal. Is can you just simply get them? Uh, you know how sometimes kids will come up with a cutesy name for grandma that sticks. Mm. Maybe the kids need to come up with a name. Yeah. For maybe it'll be different for every family. Yeah, that's kind of what I was leaning towards because growing up I couldn't pronounce like grandma or grandpa so I went with papa and nanny which I don't know where I came up with that Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of gender neutral um, parents who are having their kids call them baba and stuff like that but that's more of like a parent endearment term Mm -hmm. so when it comes to like aunt or uncle I was kind of 
Yeah, and Baba is used. (laughs) Baba means father in some Mm -hmm, languages too, which adds more confusion to it. Yeah. I would love to throw this out to our listeners and see, because I'm sure that other people have been facing Mm -hmm. the same question. Yeah, we'll find out if other people have a gender-neutral term for somebody who doesn't want to be called aunt or uncle. But they still want the kind of yeah, like the relationship, really the helpful. familial title of it. Yeah. The other thing I would refer to you, Dylan, is there's yeah. a, a Tumblr called Gender Queries, Q-U-E-E-R-I-E-S. And they mm-hmm. asked the question on there for gender neutral terms for aunt or uncle. And they have, looks like, about 10 different sets of possible terms to use with some notes about, you know, maybe they mean something in another language. But okay. look for that. So Gender Queries Tumblr. And look for aunt and uncle, and and you'll probably find it. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. So some of these terms don't really work. Let's let's hear Uncle, which is a blend of the two words. and Uh Some say just say cousin or TT, which is too close to a word for a woman's breast. ZZ, which means penis in French. And Mm. Nini, BB, auntie. I don't know. It's it's tough because I want some, I want a word that goes before Dylan, you know, right. and is an in, in, yeah. is an affectionate word. Right. And I've loved for many years the word nieflings for nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. the collective. And I'm wondering if if uh, nief would be a, a oh, word interesting. for the nief. Yeah. Nief Dylan. Nief Dylan. Uh, kind of sounds like Neve or some other female names. <laughs> Yeah, it's a hard one. If you know of a good word that's being used in your community or in your family for someone who doesn't want to be called aunt or uncle but has that status as sibling to the parent, let us know, 877 929 We got a call from Quinn in Wyoming who was asking about the term thesaurus. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those cases of knowing just enough to be dangerous. He was saying, well, you know, the word theos in Greek means God, and sauros means lizard, like brontosaurus <laughs> or dinosaur, uh, you know, which is, which is a, mm-hmm. a frightening lizard. So isn't a thesaurus a god lizard? <laughs> I, for one, welcome our new overlords, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All hail the thesaurus. So I was just going to say to Quinn that um, it looks like it might come from Greek and Latin words that mean God, lizard, but actually a thesaurus in Latin is a treasury. And in antiquity, you would see temples and then they might have a thesaurus next to them that literally held treasure. It's sort of like one of my favorite words in the English language anthology, which uh, literally means a gathering of flowers. So a thesaurus and a and in anthology are both collections of really cool things. And in French and Spanish, their words for treasure look a lot more like the word thesaurus. Uh, Tesoro. Yeah, than, than you might think Yeah. Yeah, in English. Yeah, exactly. 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, how are you doing today? My name is Eric Guns from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What's going on, Eric? Hey, I had a question for you regarding uh, the plural use of uh, some nouns. I was uh, driving down the road the other day with my son, and uh, he's a pretty smart kid. He's only six years old, but he knows a lot. And uh, he said, hey, Dad, how come when you say some words in the singular form, they're one word, but if you use, if you say it in the plural form, it changes into another word? I was like, well, I really don't know what you're talking about. He said, what about the word if we've seen a mouse in the yard, we call them mouse. But if there was more than one, we would call them mice. And then he went on to tell me about goose and geese, and then he even mentioned his tooth. If his tooth falls out, he says tooth, but if more than one tooth fell out, he'd call him teeth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I noticed, I, I went and did a little research, and I noticed, well, it looks like, you know, when whenever you uh, have a noun, you typically you add an S or ES to make a plural. Why those words? You know, why do you physically change the actual word? I have no clue. That's Ooh. a smart kid you got That's there, smart, Eric. He's very observant. Yeah, yeah, he is pretty smart. Actually, he's kind of he's kind of questioning where I went wrong in life sometimes because I don't know <laughs> I don't know some of the things he knows already. <laughs> yeah, just keep feeding him the right books and the right entertainment, and he'll, right. he'll grow. Sounds like a nerd in training. Yeah. Well, Eric, the <laughs> the answer to this uh, is really interesting. When you come across those words that have these irregular plurals. You are looking at some of the oldest parts of the English language. You are seeing the dusty bones of English. Um, 
let's take, for example, the word goose and geese just as one example. Um, there was an older form of English that, like Germanic languages, to make a plural, you didn't add an S on the end. Instead, you changed that main central vowel. And other words have behaved the same way. He picked up on tooth and teeth and foot and feet and uh, mouse and mice. Um, and and so when English became modern, there's no one like day or one organization that makes everything modern. Each word becomes modern on its own or it's dropped from the language or it isn't changed at all. And these are remnants of words that weren't changed to adopt the new plural style of adding an S to make them plural. There were other changes that did happen, pronunciation changes, for example, for geese, for example, might have pr pronounced something like giza um, at one point in English, but we don't keep that. We did modernize pronunciation, but we didn't modernize the, the pluralization by adding an S. So they're kind of leftovers from they're the They're leftovers, past. yeah. They're artifacts. Yeah, they're, artifacts that's of really English. interesting. I had envisioned like there was some committee somewhere in Washington, D.C. in some big <laughs> office somewhere, and they all sat around and said, hey, let's figure out the proper way to say certain words. Because you know, certain words, when you look at them, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. How are you getting that word out of it, let alone changing the name of it? You know, it's kind of, kind of interesting how it works. Mm -hmm. And some words like house, uh, we did it, we did modernize it fully. We don't we don't use the old plural of house anymore. We say houses, but house is another one of those old old words that could have stayed and could have kept its old old plural form. Yeah, there's no committee in D.C. or London or Oxford or any place like that. Each each word changes on its own as the different um, dialects and variations in the language rise to prestige or fall away from prestige. Yeah, and there are a couple of other um, examples of plurals that aren't formed with S, like mm. children mm -hmm. and oxen, because mm -hmm. uh, in Old English you would add an E-N to make a plural. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's great. Sounds good. Well, hey, I, I thank you guys very much for answering my questions, and I'll definitely relay the information over to him and uh, maybe do a little research on the subject myself and, uh, and do a little learning uh, exercise with him. Yeah, uh, say hi to your son. Yes. What's his name? Tell him we said hi. Uh, his name is Eric as well. Oh, Eric. Hey, yeah. Eric. Tell little Eric we said hi and good luck. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how good I am with the English language. I had to keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. All right. Hi All to right, Eric. Thank you. Take care. Now. All thank right. Bye-bye. Bye. We were talking earlier about names for hot winds, and it turns out that there are some really great names for cold winds as well, or cool winds like doctor. Have you heard the word doctor used in no. terms of wind? How does that come about as a name for a cool wind? It's it's the kind of wind that supposedly brings good uh, health. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like a cape doctor uh, on the South African coast or a Fremantle doctor, which is a cooling sea breeze in Western Australia, often made note of during hot summertime cricket matches. Interesting, the yeah. doctor wind. Yeah, and there's another one, the barber barber wind, which is just generally applied to wind that is so cold that it's cutting. I thought it was so strong it took your, take your toupee off. Some people say it's, you know, <laughs> it, it freezes on contact with objects and would take your beard off and your, yeah, your hair, as mm. you say. 877-929-9673. Support for Away With Words comes from Jack and Caroline Raymond, proud sponsors of Wayward Inc., the nonprofit that produces and distributes this program. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. The magpie is a really striking-looking bird. It's got black feathers, and it's got a patch of white on either side, and then it's got these other feathers that are sort of this iridescent blue-green or bronze-green. Mm -hmm. It has an exceptionally long tail, and, you know, magpies are known for going around and picking up lots of things or turning things over to find things to eat, and it, they seem pretty indiscriminate mm -hmm. in the way that they eat. Um, and the Latin word for magpie, pica, gives us the mm. the English word pica, which is the term for, as you know, eating things that aren't normal foodstuffs. Like a lot of times pregnant women crave mud or dirt. Right, right. They eat clay or soap, something like that. Um, but anyway, I've been thinking about magpies a lot because of a poem I read by Jessica Goodfellow. She's a poet who was an artist in residence at Denali National Park in Alaska. The National Park Service has an artist in residence program That's where, cool. yeah, yeah, where a poet will go and, and uh, stay in a national park for a while and write poetry about it. And she wrote this poem about 
a magpie that I absolutely loved and wanted to share with you. The magpie drags my gaze around, a teeter-totter of blue and black, a wink of stark white epaulette, crazed glass wings, a sheen of green, a swaggering wand of opal tail. Then with a shake of lacquered beak and a fling of fingery wings, is gone. And you have to see this poem, too, because the is gone is way over on the other uh, side. Gotcha. And it, it just, I, I think it's a poem that should be taught in high schools. It I sounds think it's exactly like, like a magpie. Doesn't it? Yeah. 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 That's and cool. just, just like an imagist poem, you know, mm-hmm. sort of a William Carlos Williams type of thing. Nice. I also loved the crazed glass wings because, you know, crazed glass is that kind of glass that's all crackly. And it's, it's meant got all to those... be, right? Yeah. 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 And the word craze is also used in dentistry when you're talking about enamel that's mm-hmm. cracked on your teeth. That's crazed. Mm-hmm. And it's related to our word crazy. It has to do with the idea of shattering, cracking. Mm-hmm. Something that's not whole anymore. Yeah. These fissures. And the poem again? It's called The Magpie. It's by Jessica Goodfellow, and you can find it if you just Google those words. Okay. 877-929-9673 or send everything you want to know about language to us an email to words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Sally. Welcome, Sally. Where are you calling us from? Portage, Wisconsin. Sally, what's on your mind? What can we help with? Eighteen years ago, I was in massage school, and we had a teacher who had immigrated to the States from Central Europe. And one day he made a comment about, I don't get this, this cold turkey, what do you mean? And none of us could tell him why. And so that's always been a mystery to me. Where did the phrase cold turkey come from? Mm -hmm. And cold turkey meaning what exactly? As I understand it, like, oh, that person quit smoking cold turkey. Mm-hmm. It, it's like they, a person quits what they see as a not good habit, and they're doing it without, I guess, without any help, like, you know, for smoking, like they're mm-hmm. not doing it with a smoking patch or something like that. Right. They just suddenly, just suddenly do it. Yeah. yeah. Without, without preparation. Without preparation, right. Or right, or any kind of assistance. They yeah. go cold turkey without a warm-up. All right, hold on. I'm not going to go very far with this, actually. What's really interesting about cold turkey, it's got a history going back to about the 1890s. And when it first comes up, it's almost exclusively used in boxing. It's talking about a fighter quitting a match, cold turkey, or somebody um, bad-mouthing somebody else and just, like, stopping the argument, cold turkey. And it's not until the early part of the 1900s that we start to see it being used among people who are trying to quit alcohol or drug use. And over the years, the use of cold turkey to refer to quitting drugs has become more prominent. But there are still many uses of where we might say, I quit something cold turkey that has nothing whatsoever to do with drugs. And you said something that's exactly right. It has to do with quitting something that you see as bad for yourself. Like you can quit a relationship cold turkey, or you can quit a job cold turkey, or you can just change your mind and say, on the highway, go in a different direction cold turkey. And you can find zillions of examples of this. But but the first uses that we know suggest that it came up as boxing slang, which is, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So why turkey and why cold? Well, there's two things happening. We, we often talk about doing something cold, and it does mean without yeah. preparation or warm-up or yeah. any kind of— and that's use, the use of cold is probably what's happening here. But the turkey is where we run into some difficulty here. Um, a couple theories have been proposed that have to do with actual turkey, like the bird, that suggests that— when you quit drugs cold turkey, that you get goosebumps and mm-hmm. they resemble the skin of a plucked turkey. However, that's probably not true because, as I said, the the dates don't work out. The drug uses come much after the term. More likely, turkey just refers to a derogatory name for somebody where he's a turkey, meaning he's a, a fool or a loser or somebody who makes bad choices or a chump, that sort of thing. So more than likely, the boxing milieu, the boxing environment suggests to me, most of all, that cold turkey means he quit like a chump. He quit like a loser. He quit like somebody who didn't have the guts or the courage to carry it out. And so then over time, the meaning transition. And again, most people today think of it having to do with drugs, but you'll still find people talking about like, yeah, I stopped wearing stretch pants, cold turkey or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sally, what do you wow. think? Very strange. 
Right? Yeah, slang is weird. You can you know you never know what you're gonna get with slang. It's like a box of chocolates, as they say. <laughs> All right, that's the best that I can give you. Okay, well thank you. Our pleasure. Thanks thank you for, for calling. calling. Really appreciate it. Okay. Bye bye, Sally. Right. Bye now. So eighteen ninety eight is the first use that I found in boxing. Hmm. Yeah. Eighteen ninety eight. I will corner him and he will either have to go through the with the match or quit cold turkey. Ah, right? yeah, that does so sound So the turkey church as a coward, mm-hmm. not, not willing to withstand the... Mm-hmm. A loser. The, a loser, yeah. Yeah, a flop, like a turkey in theater, yeah, right? Yeah, there we go. Somebody, yeah. somebody with a glass jaw bailing out of a match because they know they can't hack it. Yeah. Right? Great slang from boxing, right? <laughs> boxing is good. Yeah, glass jaw, cauliflower ear. <laughs> it's not just slang we talk about on the show, and it's not just word origins. Give us a call if you've got anything related to language. We do jokes and riddles, a dispute you had at work, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Good, good afternoon. My name is Catherine from Port Washington, Wisconsin, and I have a question about a dictionary. Oh, well. Uh, yes, I'm raising my hand. We have a dictionary <laughs> editor right here who can probably give you whatever answer you require. Catherine, how can I help? Well, I've owned my grandmother's four-and-a-half-inch dic- dictionary since 1975, and when I hate, I don't like to discard it because I listen to both of you talk about about how many dictionaries should be kept because of the unabridged um, aspect of it. So this one is a new Webster New 20th Century Unabridged Dictionary, copyright 1952, but the previous copyright is 1904. And like I said, it's four and a half inches thick. Is this something that I need to keep? Do you have it on a dictionary stand, or where do you keep it? It used to be on a podium, but I just have it on a shelf in the closet at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. So a 1952 copyright date on that. It's not considered a particularly good dictionary, um, but it's interesting to have and can add some texture to your reading. It might have slightly different definitions. But um, what's really interesting is uh, it doesn't contain some important words. How often do you look up things in the dictionary? Oh, I look up things in the dictionary all the time. I prefer to use the dictionary rather than the Internet <laughs> or the computer. Um, and so when you say the Internet, you wouldn't go, for example, to Merriam-Webster.com or American mm. Heritage or Oxford? No, not particularly. Okay. I usually reach for the dictionary, but um, that's probably force of habit. Yeah, I get that. The problem, and as I own many, many dictionaries. Uh, not that one, but I own many, many dictionaries, including some unabridged that I will uh, hopefully they'll bury with me because um, they're so useful. But I should say the problem with this is it's not going to have a ton of language in it. It's missing the word internet. You probably don't need to look that up. It's missing the modern word computer. It probably has the definition of computer, meaning a clerk who compiles, who adds up numbers, um, rather than the machine computer. It's talking about the person computer. Um, it's missing a huge number of scientific terms of, that reflect the developments that have happened in every field of science since the 1950s. Oh, I'm sure that. I'm sure that's true. Do you ever it find is that... an unabridged, unabridged edition, though. Yeah, but even unabridged dictionaries that only have a small percentage of all the English that there is, do you find I that see. it doesn't have words that you're, you're looking up? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. And I have another. I have a couple other dictionaries on my shelf, and I'll refer to them, and I will find them in there. Okay, good. Are your mm-hmm. other dictionaries newer? Yes, they're newer. Okay, well, that's good news. I would say if you were just depending upon the 1952 dictionary that you would definitely need something more current. The one that I usually recommend for completeness sake is the American Heritage Dictionary. It's not quite unabridged, but they've done an exquisite job of including words that you are likely to look up. That, by that I mean they've left out a lot of archaisms and obsolete terms that would just take up space and very few people would ever look up. They've also taken out like the stunty words, kind of the words that you look up just because they're funny words to look up, but you don't actually read them in your day-to-day um, literature. So it's a and it has some illustrations. It's, and it's got a lot of illustrations. It's as well, photos. It's and... printed on a nice material. But if if failing in that, um, Merriam-Webster is currently preparing a new edition of their unabridged. I don't know if it's going to make it on paper, but if you want to hold off for a little bit, a couple of years, I would keep my eyes out for that as well. Oh, I will. That's yeah. a great idea. But don't if the the dictionary that I have would they have taken some words out of this dictionary, um, say if they were passe or what do you think? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Dictionary. Every yeah. new edition of dictionaries probably takes out words in order to make space okay. for new new terms to include. Yeah. 
And I think that's the only reason I saved it. Yeah. yeah. The, the plus, di- plus, it's hard to let go of them. It is. You know? oh, it yeah. truly is. I know. I still regret. I had a whole set of the Scottish National Dictionary. And when I, during between one of my moves, I sold it. Oh. I still regret it. Oh, 13 geez. volumes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, it's got a beautiful cover, and it's, you know, it's just not like books you find today. And mm-hmm. like, it's, like I said, it stood on my grandmother's podium, and she would... Actually, every day she would close the dictionary and and just with her eyes closed, open the book dictionary and point her finger at a word and use that word for the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. That's, that's nice. lovely. Mm-hmm. Well, I've sort of taken that on myself at times during during these years. Well, that's great. Well, Catherine, thank you for asking this question about dictionaries. I'm always happy to talk about dictionaries. It does sound like you're kind of covered with those other dictionaries. But if you are looking for another unabridged, try the American Heritage. Wait for the next edition of the Merriam-Webster's. And you might even find that the double-volume, shorter Oxford English Dictionary will cover a lot of bases, although it's not very American. I think it's a little light on slang overall. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your interpretation. Yeah, sure. Our Thanks, pleasure. For calling, Thanks for calling, Catherine. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. There should be a word for how you feel after you give away a dictionary. And, oh, you know, I kind of have regrets. It's about... like giving away kittens from a litter. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's the same feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like there's a place at the table that, you know. And you call them and say, can I? Can you send me pictures of my dictionary? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I want to see it being used. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Grant, what do you call the cloth cover for a pillow? Oh, you mean the pillowcase? Pillow slip? Yeah, uh, thank you. There's two, and there's others, but I don't, there's only two I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, and there's also pillow beer or pillow bear, which is a really old word for that. Yeah, it doesn't have to do with And bears. I wasn't thinking about what's the fancy outer covering. So you have the pillow, mm-hmm. and then the pillowcase, and mm-hmm. then the thing that goes around that matches the bedspread. What is that? Yeah, some people call that a sham. Sham. A pillow but, sham. Okay. But the reason I bring that up is because I was at a dinner recently, and somebody was laughing about about the term pillow slip, which I hadn't heard in forever. Hmm. She was saying, oh, no, it's pillowcase, pillowcase. And it took me back to my childhood, hearing my mother talk about pillow slips. And so I went and looked it up, and it turns out that there are a lot more people who say pillowcase rather than pillow slip. But pillow slip just... Pillow. I hear Pilla. it. Pillow slip. Yeah. I hear you're Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, it's interesting. And then there's no regionality to those terms? Not really. If you look in the Dictionary of American Regional English, which has a big map yeah, of all sure. these things, there are a lot more pillowcases than pillow slips. But wonder... it's pretty widely distributed hmm. across the country, both of them. Interesting. Pillowcase, yeah. pillow slip. I did mm-hmm. not know that there was any argument about that. <laughs> we had one over <laughs> dinner. It was a lot of fun. Oh, fun <laughs> argument. Not the serious kind. <laughs> right. Hit us up on Twitter, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Michelle, and I'm calling from Evansville, Indiana. How are you, Grant? Excellent, Michelle. It's very nice to talk to you. Hi, Michelle. I know exactly where you're from, down there in the boot, the toe. Oh, yes, 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 ma'am. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. What can we do? I've always heard the phrase from, like, my, my grandmother and other people, if I was any better, I'd be twins whenever you're asked, how are you doing? <laughs> and so I've kind of adopted it myself. And, how, oh, if I was any better, I'd be twins. And I say it all the time. I have no idea what it really means. And so I just thought maybe you guys could help. Well, you must be pretty good. What? <laughs> Usually, yes. <laughs> if I were any better, I'd be twins. Yeah. If I was any better, I'd be twins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you say was or were? If I was any better, I, I was, would be twins. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I usually see uh, phrases like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a, very it's, casual, it's, right? You're not going to throw the subjunctive into that kind of jokey <laughs> no, remark, right? No. 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 Yeah. But but basically, it's you know, if I were any better, I'd be twice as good, right? <laughs> there's so much of me. There's enough to go around. <laughs> right. Well, see, I'd, I've heard that too, but I thought surely there has to be another meaning or. Uh, you know, some some other place that it came from. No, it's no. pretty basic. You're doing the work of you're doing the good work of two people, basically. Yeah, I've also heard versions okay. like, "If I was any better, I'd be you." You know, there there are lots of oh, clever little responses yeah, like that. If I that. was any better, there'd be two of me. Is a variation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I were any okay. better, I'd be dangerous. Is yeah. my favorite one. Or if I was any better, vitamins would be taking me. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
I'm going to start using the I'd be dangerous. That one's fantastic. I found mm-hmm. one, but, um, one use that's similar. It's not quite the same thing from 1904. If I hadn't been an only child, there'd be two of me. And just fancy all the fun me too could have with that other of me. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank that's you. That's goofy, right? <laughs> That's that's all we got, Michelle. Yeah, it's just pretty silly. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for finally settling that because my husband and I, uh, we've been round and round, and that's the conclusion that we came to, and yeah. so I get to tell him that uh, yeah. that, that I was kind of right. Occam's so, yeah. razor on all, all right. that, right? Yeah. The simple answer is usually the right one. That is correct, and I know he's he's got a couple questions, too. Uh, we We talk about it from time to time, and so I'm sure that one of these days he'll probably call in. Well, tell him yeah. to do it, yeah. Thank you very okay. much for calling. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, Michelle. All right. Bye-bye. This is a show where sometimes we talk about language and we just kind of goof off. I mean, there are a lot of... <laughs> what? No, we're what? serious. This is this is serious business. Well, I, do, I do love all those responses. Like, yeah, uh, you, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm finer than frog's hair or I'm finer than frog's hair split yeah. or I'm fuzzy as a peach. Fuzzy as a peach. Yeah. 877-929-9673. I met somebody from New Zealand the other day who taught me a Maori word that oh, she ahead. grew up with, and it's kapai. Do you what? know this? No, I don't know that one. K-A-P-A-I, kapai. It means good or fine. And how do you use it? Just as like a an assertion when somebody else is talking, or I feel kapai, or... Or you're kapai, just good. That's oh. great. Oh, I see. Kapai. Right. That's wonderful. Yes. Kapai. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guide John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye. Support for Away With Words comes from Lizanne, Fokion, and Chloe Potamianos Homem, proud sponsors of Wayward Inc., the nonprofit that produces and distributes this program.